let's get things started first. Could you give us a quick introduction on who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Mike Cavanaugh. I'm president and founder of a company called Keycode Media. And what we effectively do is we help provide video and audio solutions to enable our clients to communicate more effectively. Okay. That, that's, a, that's, that's a broad, sweet level. So what does that mean and how did I get there? Um, and what does really communication mean? And, and a lot of it is, you know, the belief of, you know, how things have changed where, you know, my generation, you know, the internet hadn't been what it is now. In fact, email hadn't even really existed. So it was a very much a verbal level. Written communication was a dying art. I mean, because that was a letter. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I ran the, the gamut where um, in college, I graduated out of, out of UCLA with an economics business degree. And this is 1984, and the economy, interest rates, and unemployment were high. And I ended up taking a job at 100% commission selling photocopiers door-to-door in five zip codes in Los Angeles. Okay. I actually saw that when I was looking um, through your LinkedIn that I saw you had a huge background in sales. And uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you was that um, with your background in sales and right now you're president of Keycode Media, how did your role uh, kind of transition from being a sales rep uh, to now being a president? Um, and it, it's interesting on that. And, and part of it was, you know, I'm a follower and, you know, of Seven Habits of Stephen Covey. And when that book came out, you know, the, the concept of begin with the end in mind really stuck to me in terms of a habit. And what I'd been doing was, you know, working for a company, having a job and in the sales field, which is what I entered into because that's the only job I could get. Most of the other jobs weren't there. And I didn't want to be an accountant, you know, before computers were widespread usage. And I had to learn how to sell. And I don't, on a personality spectrum, because I've been tested by different companies, um, I don't fall within the window of what your classic gregarious outgoing sales rep is. Um, I really took a different approach. And I really tried to engage clients as if I was a hired consultant, although I was only paid on commission for their success. And I was involved in selling a photocopier that had a liquid technology that was just differentiated than Xerox and powder and all that. And good and bad. I mean, they lasted a long time because they didn't have to generate as much heat. Mm. So what I tried to do was really look and as an entrepreneur, you know, I always talk with um, people that I'm speaking with when they're talking about businesses is what, where do you have unique differentiation that you're better than something else. And you don't need to be better everywhere. You need to be better in one specific area that a certain segment of the market will value. So that I started to learn was I had to figure out, I'm selling a copier that had liquid in it where everyone else had powder and powder could be sharper. It was a sharper image. And so what I you know, came up with was on a differentiation level, which was validated by studies at the company I had, which they're out of business now, they're called Savin, <laughs> um, is that the liquid transfer didn't generate as much heat. Therefore, the copiers lasted longer okay. and they had less downtime. So clients that said, I don't need the absolute sharpest looking copy. I just need something that makes a good copy and that doesn't break down and will last longer than three years. 
Yeah. So great. I started finding people where their buying criteria happened to fall within those categories. Hmm. And, you know, tying that back to differentiation from um, as an entrepreneur is, and, and I speak a lot to young entrepreneurs starting a business because, you know, I've started, you know, a bunch and some made it and some aren't on LinkedIn or anywhere because they never became a business. And my son right now, a couple years older than you guys, he's a economics business grad out of um, LMU in California. He's in Shenzhen, China right now, teaching English. Um, he became fluent in Mandarin. You know, he took a side course learning to code in Python and do some machine learning coding. And he's trying to start a company. So he's saying, I want to start a company so that I can start taking on jobs. I'm like, why do you want to start a company when all you're doing is a singular freelance level? Yeah. Why don't you just freelance first and see if people will hire you? Okay. okay. And so, you know, the, the concept I look at is because, you know, there's a lot of different ideas in business and everyone wants to start a business and, and be in business. And I actually take a, a, a sidestep and say, don't make that your first start. Work, work for somebody. Learn how to do business. All the, all the habits, all the, the learning curve that a lot of other people made on building process and having systems and also what, learning what they do wrong. I mean, I, I became an entrepreneur because I got sick and tired of working for companies that the management above me, I didn't feel confident in. I didn't feel that they were driving directions that made sense for the customers. And so I just got into the world of, I think I can do it better and I'm going to start. And my, my opening came by chasing technology and opportunity. And then when you're in, when you're in business, that's when the windows can start to open. And, you know, that window of you seeing a trend and, and having building your foundational skills um, and, and a classic, uh, you know, example um, I'm an investor in a company called Storage DNA Incorporated. And, you know, they're very smart engineering guys, two of them out of Carnegie Mellon, one of them out of UC Irvine. And they could code like the day is long around technology and really got where the trends were going from a business perspective. They kept their day jobs and they approached me to say, hey, Mike, we would be interested in having you pick up our product and you sell our technology. And I started to vet them. My brother's an IP attorney, used to be um, double E um, from Harvey Mudd in California. And, and I realized very quickly that they didn't have any customers. They just had some cool technology and they all had day jobs. Yeah. But, you know, I vetted it and I surveyed my clients that I have as a company. And, and there was a need for what they did where it offloaded um, video from expensive storage systems to less expensive storage systems. So people could have a parking place, much like a glorified drop Dropbox or Google cloud today. Okay. And that was their initial part of their technology. And I said, you have a business, but you don't really have products. You don't have customers. Um, are you guys willing to quit your day jobs and start a company full time and jump in it with me? And I'll become an investor and help you and incubate your company. Hmm. So their, uh, like their idea was, was built out or born out of like um, the needs that they saw in their day job? Um, yes. I see. Interesting. And, and that's a lot of ways where, you know, you don't have to worry about making every single mistake. 
And that's, you know, you may have, if you have a technology that is golden, even if it's totally perfect and it solves every world problem and, you know, hunger and, you know, the need to ever get sick, you don't need medicine. You know, you'd think I put that on the shelves and I sell it for this. Everybody in the world's going to buy it. Mm. But if you haven't been in, you know, the, the medical industry, you wouldn't know why well, I, I need to get, you know, the food and drug administration to approve what I have, although it solves all these problems, it's not something that can happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So on that so, note, so mm-hmm. on that note of um, going through like your sales process and figuring out like what the market wants rather than what you think it wants. Could you kind of walk me through how uh, Key Code Media goes for their sales process? Are you guys more of like a B2B company or are you focused on selling straight to, to uh, customers? We're B2B. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in Austin, you know, we're working right now on a project at Austin City College and a, um, the PBS station that's moving from University of Texas to ACC. And we're doing that integration and, and build out and, and, and procurement of equipment for them. And how B2B really works is how do you become a trusted supplier and partner mm. of an organization you're trying to speak with? So just building up your like reputation. And, and that you can do it. And, and we didn't, you know, we, we are not in Austin. I have an office in Texas, although now I have a, a, um, a mobile vehicle parked on the lot at ACC that is my Austin, Texas. And I have, you know, 17 people working on a project in Austin and we didn't get there overnight. I mean, we won the bid, but we were first allowed to go to bid based on other projects that we did that were comparable because that whole concept of saying, I'm willing to align and trust you and and give you a purchase order and commit for business but at the same time, I need to be comfortable you can do it. And, and that really comes down to how, where can you build your business and where can you start doing business for? And when I started Keycode Media, I'd already started a secondary company that went out of business because I had two partners. But how we started that first business and then how Keycode Media started business was I became an alternate vendor to the customer. I wasn't able to walk in and be their number one supplier because there's a lot of risk in somebody just saying, Hey, Andrew, you know, you're a great guy. I'm going to do business with you and I'm going to trust my supply chain to you now. And I hope you can do it. Yeah. You know, there, there needs to be a little bit more than that, you know, because people have career levels of risk and everything else, yeah. you know? So I, I look at when you look at from an entrepreneurial level, you know, it starts with three key things. Inspiration. What's your idea? How is your idea differentiated? And how is that idea meaningful where other people will want to pay you money for it? The next is preparation. You know, just like the Boy Scouts, be prepared, really defining your business model and recognizing that everything you thought of, like, for example, your cost structure, I had a printer that smoked these long little cigarella cigarette type things. And he just was an entrepreneur, but he got tired and just ran a print shop in on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. And I asked him, you know, what's the key to starting a business? Mm -hmm. And his feedback to me was every model you build, add 50% to it. 
because you forgot things. Hmm. And there will just be things that you won't ever remember. So model that additional cushion into your expenses because you'll need it. Because the worst case scenario is you don't need it and you can put it in your pocket or reinvest it back into the organization. Like expecting the unexpected, basically. And it always happens. I mean, South Texas had a freeze streak that all the pipes broke. Yeah. Significant disruption to an area that that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Then the the last key is perspiration. Is just working your ass off or your butt off. We're outworking everybody and recognizing as you're an entrepreneur, it's harder to get out of a business than it is out of a marriage. Mm. I mean, you have commitments, you have guarantees that are financial that you just can't walk away from. And, you know, I couldn't want, it would take me probably two years if I wanted to wind down key code media and be done with the company more than that. I mean, I have a lease for 10 years in one of my buildings. So realizing that once you're in, it's sort of like you're in the matrix and it's not, there's no easy way out. You know, how do you get out of Oz once you're in Oz? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you better find out what you're going to do and be committed to knowing that, there are going to be days that suck and yeah. there's no one to no one to handle that stress or that financial pressure, but you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like, so going back to your, the second point that you said that about being like prepared, um, was there any, any experiences that you guys had with Kiko media where, you know, you, you had to expect the unexpected and it happened. Well, the pandemic. Mm. Right. So I started my company in two offices, one in Seattle, one in Burbank. And I now have eight different offices across. So I was looking at, we had servers that people were, you know, using RD web and Citrix to log into, and it wasn't a really a good workflow. So as cloud tools started to come about, I decided, you know, in 2018 to do the analysis and make some decisions about migrating all of our systems, our phone, our storage, our computers, mm-hmm. operations, everything to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And we weren't ready in the beginning of 2019. And by the way, that was year 18 of the company. We weren't ready. And I had my operations people come to me and say, Mike, we're not ready. We're not ready to do this. We need more time. And I said, burn the boats. Wow. We're doing it. And it's going to be bumpy and people are going to complain and clients are going to be disrupted but it's going to happen anyway. Mm. And by everybody knowing that we're committed to making this happen and we're going to make it happen. And we're all focused on the benefits that it's going to bring us, that it's going to bring our clients that we should do it. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of the entrepreneurs that uh, we've talked to so far have, there's been a common line of burning the bridge to sort of the easy way out. So you can just fully commit to the task at hand. And you know that, uh-huh. hey, even if I don't put my full effort to it, there's no way back. And that, and that commitment uh, mentally just helps a ton with like productivity. And I wanted to ask you, like, how did you sort of like ease your way into like this business environment shifting like away from your nine to five uh, lifestyle you had beforehand? And how did you recruit like uh, your team members who are also like-minded and willing to take that jump of commitment into key code media with you? Um, I, I think the first one is 
you know, getting people that don't want to be bound into a box and, and people that want the ability where if they make a mistake, it's not career ending and that they're not branded as, as a failure. And that's going into their HR report for the end of eternity by trying something. I mean, I, I tell people don't try things. Let's talk, let's have a discussion, let's engage, but I'm open towards, you know, Joseph Schrumpter, um, talked about creative destruction is the essential fact about capitalism. And that concept of people being okay to create levels of destruction because things are going to, you know, new things are happening and things are moving so very quickly with AI, machine learning, you know, the COVID changing and us trying to really interpret what is really the blend of work and home experience now? And I'm right now faced entrepreneurially with, I'm in an empty office. I prefer, you know, I'm a little bit old school. I think of myself as young, but I'm not, you know, I'm not anymore. And I know that as my kids go, dad, you're old. But the concept is I like working and having separation from home and work. But there are other people that they would like that. But if, you know, the, 75 minutes of their day is taken in a car driving somewhere that they now have those 75 minutes. That's a pretty big benefit to their life. And for me looking at things and saying, Hey, they're benefiting on a personal level, able to walk their dog longer, start yoga and have good life balance. How do I manage them as an entrepreneur recognizing I won't see them. And we went for a year without seeing each other, except on these little boxes on the computer. <laughs> but that's a huge pivot that, you know, people are dealing with. Restaurants are having problems. Stores are having, everyone's trying to figure out, you know, what is the next sort of iteration of our world? And that's where opportunity, because what we're eff effectively incurring is, you know, as, as I said, that creative destruction. Mm -hmm. So I see, I'm glad that you mentioned that about environments like sort of playing an influence on uh, your productivity. I know for you, I, I agree with you on that, that I really prefer having a separation between like my work and life. And right now as a student, I like to travel across like campus, go to different uh -huh. locations, specifically like a coffee shop to get my work done. And a lot about entrepreneurship, at least when like you're working with other people is understanding like who like these different personalities are because not everyone's going to be old school uh, like us some people are going to prefer to like work and, and live in mm -hmm. a place and understanding that just helps a lot more with like the communication getting different workflows and honestly just manage the whole engine way better than normal and the thing that i wanted to um get back to you on was like how no uh, the thing that i wanted to get back to you was did you always have like uh, these sort of like positive influence to uh, sort of lead you down the path of entrepreneurship? Did you surround yourself with like friend groups or peers that were also entrepreneurs or were you just kind of like going against the grain and were the first entrepreneur like in your family? Um, my grandfather was a sheep rancher in the Bighorns in Wyoming. And that was the only entrepreneur I had any, any ability to view. And, and so I, I think I personally just happened to be against the grain and I seeked out, you know, books and tapes and then, you know, podcasts and YouTubes and, and, and really just try to get a sense of how people were. I didn't have that person to view. I just was more of a contrarian 
and just somebody that I would piss off my bosses because I'd outwork them, outthink them. And they got frustrated with me, although I was bringing a lot to the table to them. And it just came to the level of they were more in a nine to six environment. And I was a, I'm in it to win it. What's it take? Mm-hmm. I see. That's powerful. That's powerful, sir. Okay. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't want you to work yourself to death, though. But <laughs> so I wanted to uh, touch a little bit further on like, you're saying that you read a lot of books and just sort of get, uh, surrounded yourself uh, with that media because you didn't have like sort of people around you to support you there. What were one of like uh, your biggest inspirations in the entrepreneur field, whether it's like book, podcast, or like your favorite media to consume that you would recommend to anyone? Candidly, I mean, what got me started on there, and I, and I met this guy in like 1981, was Tony Robbins. And I'm not like oh, a really? super fan of his whole thing, but he had this thing around neuro-linguistic programming, and he had a set of tapes that um, this leasing representative named Frank Hickey was helping me you know, close deals when I was selling pre-press technology that was sort of a desktop publishing back in the you know, late 80 type thing. And this guy just had a level of confidence and he was able to talk to people about not the technology, about what it could do financially for them. And I, I was like, man, you come in, you're confident, you know, you sit down with people, they relate to you very quickly and you don't know shit about what I'm doing and you're, you're doing it better than me. And he said, Hey, there's this guy named Tony Robbins. He has his tapes. You can buy it and you should listen to it. And I did. And it wasn't like, you know, I'm running around on fire pits and I've never gone to one of his things. And I'm not like, you know, that hardcore as though I, like I said, I met him in the eighties in college, he was barnstorming, trying to get people to join his sort of cult thing that he was doing or his group. And looking back at it probably should have just quit school and gone for it. Who knows? <laughs> right. But I took my own path and I need, I needed those foundational levels of, I needed a degree you know, in economics, I needed to get an MBA at night so that I just had levels of check boxes that some people would look at and say, that is makes me more comfortable doing business with you because of those. And also, I think for me, I needed that comfort to bolster my mental attitude here to be, okay, I'm now ready. Because mm -hmm. jumping into entrepreneurship is is a big jump, and especially right now where, you know, you guys will graduate. What are your majors? Uh, I'm actually double E as well. Okay. I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer. Okay. So you guys know you can walk out at a hundred thousand plus easy, you know, more money than you've had personal discretion ever. Yet you're talking to entrepreneurs and you're thinking, how can I become an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I see where, what you're saying where, you know, you, you feel like you need that experience aspect from going to school and like working a job um and i think uh that's that's kind of a mindset that a lot of people or some people still have today but a lot of people nowadays um believe that you know they can they there's a lot that they can learn with the with the internet as a tool mm -hmm. and um i want to ask like what's your what's your like opinion on like using the internet and like how has that helped you i guess yeah i use the internet um i mean anything just like you guys you know 
I, I use every tool that I can leverage to more effectively get information, you know, from learning, you know, I have less and less time to, you know, view, you know, full learning skill set things. I, I put it on 1.5 speed so I can hear it faster and just take the keynotes that I need to hear. But going, going back to entrepreneurship and what, what I really try to talk to people is because the internet now, and I, and this is how things have changed in the world of business to business, your clients can become more educated than you can become on everything. All of that information is available where back when I started my career in business, I used to have to walk out and I gave people brochures and that was how they got their information because there was no internet to get it. So looking at now a business is really looking at, you know, the three M's is, and I heard this at a, a I went to a, a forum and I listened to a speaker talk about a financier talk about who invests in business models. And they said there are three M's that make the difference. What's your business model? What's the money in terms of the cash and where you're getting it from? What's your management? And the most three, those most important of the three is management. Definitely. But you need a model, you need money, and you need management. Mm-hmm. And speaking of management, you know, um, how did how did you find that in your company, and how did, how were you able to like, um, I guess, organize your communication effectively with other people in your company? Um, you know, we're traditionally structured, although you know we're we're both player coaches, so we'll do a lot. Um, but I have ninety employees, and I have a management team, and different, you know, my engineering department, my project management department, my operations, my finance, mm-hmm. you know, HR, you know, they all have different skills. And it's really about setting up, you know, the goals and then defining the roles and how we're going to, you know, the metrics to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, I think it's um, one thing that I've been seeing is like, it's, it, it's super important for, for a leader as an entrepreneur to, to like be able to share your vision with the people around you and especially those who work with you um, because you know you have to keep them motivated and keep them driven so and it's hard uh, yeah 100 um, I mean, percent you know and, and at the the bigger the bigger reality is you can only motivate them for moments hmm. and I mean you know people have to you know can they personally motivate themselves every day mm-hmm you know, are you getting that person that will have your drive? More than likely not. I like to say the 80% rule. Can they do 80% of what you can do? Hmm. But I, I look more at values, ethics, and, and diversity. So I, I have probably in my industry, in the AV side, I have more women and more minorities than any of my competition. And, and I feel that is very critical because it blends together a much more unique um, perspective that's differentiated and that better ideas can come through the amalgamation of, of communication. Because of people from, you know, my head of, you know, project management and AV, he grew up in Egypt. He, he won the lotto to come to America. Hmm. And, you know, he, his speaking style is not, you know, traditional within, you know, the business environment, especially in audio, video and broadcast fields. Yeah. Yet I saw something in him and he's been a great fit. My CFO, she grew up in Hong Kong. You know, English is her second language. Yeah. Yet she has a very unique way of looking at things that 
I don't look at the same way. And what I feel that does is it builds the strength of the organization by having more people have different insights towards solving solutions to make you know our ability to serve our clients better. How, how did you meet like all, all these people from all these different backgrounds? Random. <laughs> you meet them online, you meet them in, in meetings, you, you put job interviews out, people apply. Um, you know, I've, I've hired people that the rest of my team's like, why do you pick that person? I don't think they're going to work at all. And I'm like, just wait. <laughs> wait, I've got, I've got you mentioning that of sort of like combining uh, these different cultures and perspectives from across the world to make sure that your company is as well-rounded as compared to like the other companies and competitors out there. But the question I, uh, I want to ask you is that uh, with all these different like perspectives, cultures, and even language barriers, how do you go about like screening these people? Like what in your head says, okay, this guy is or girl is the right fit for key code media. So like, how can you see uh, the value that they could add to your company? Um, I, I ask the tough questions. I, you know, I do have them take a, a, you know, a low cost, you know, profile test on how they, how they, um, you know, how they map out. Um, I, in, I actually spend more time for key employees interviewing their references and then interviewing references that are not their references, but people that could be, you know, that I know that they may know on LinkedIn. And I, you know, based on the, with the profile psych test, I'm able to say, you know, they, you know, some challenges that they have are the following. And I may say, Hey, have you ever had this situation working with so-and-so where these things happened? And they're like, yeah, you know how they handle it because the, the direct one-on-one, -on -one, they're going to try to pitch you and sell you, mm -hmm. but talking to other people that have worked with them, you're going to get a different insight. Right. Cause the crap. <laughs> Well, it just, it, it's just a different insight. And so I spend almost as much time talking to the references and references that I find that I, you know, that they didn't put down as references that I think I can approach just to get a better sense. Yeah. And so going back to um, how you met these people, I know you said random, but um, a lot of, I feel like a lot of people, um, they're always, they, they want to know like how to, what's the best way to find like, people with the same values who they'll work well with. So what, what, what do you, what would you say has been like um, the best way that you found for, um, you know, like finding people to work with that work well? Um, within the industry, finding people at, you know, groups and organizations that you just meet and, you know, in person, you know, the other aspect is just, you know, online Twitter and LinkedIn, because Facebook's more of an insular type world, LinkedIn and, and Twitter are a little bit more out there and having an online presence to communicate, you know, your messages and engage in people and conversations and, um, and just put yourself out there and see who you attract. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. I love talking with you guys. I got to drop off, but I'm more than willing to re reconnect and you can do this later. 100%. So we appreciate uh, your time here. I was just about to uh, wrap it up too because I know I wanted to respect your time. But yeah, um, yeah. Do you like, so yeah, like before we wrap it up, um, do you have like any like final message you want to give to our audience out there? At the end of the day, you have to bring value to your clients. Mm -hmm. And if you're bringing incredible levels of value, and trust, direction, and consultation, 
that word will spread and your business will grow. All right. Thank you, sir, for your time. Right. Thank you. And more than happy to do this again. Thank you. Right. And I'll be at the Texas Association of Broadcasters August 4th in Austin, Texas. Okay. I'll, I'll be looking out there if I'm in town. Uh, okay, I, cool. Soon, but, yeah. All right. Good luck in your schools, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.